uh, that night. Uh, they stuffed a pillow over his head. I don't know that that's true, but uh, there were enough of the uh, college security around that heard a, a great big fight and an uproar uh, because Mr. Armstrong did at times fire people, and he had fired Joe Koch more than once. Uh, and I think that he was in the process of firing him again that night, <laughs> and uh, his life was apparently snuffed out. So I don't know that for sure, but considering this scripture and this day, I think that is a very strong likelihood. And then we also understand that the two witnesses are to die in the streets of Jerusalem at the end of all this. So there's another place where God's leaders here in the end time will die, and even through history, uh, the apostles died as well, those that uh, God had appointed the leaders of the church, and the fast of Gedaliah had been in process uh, before that ever happened, John, the apostle John being the only one not to be killed in that manner. And then, not just looking at the church, we have to look at the nation and the turmoil that's going on, and Isaiah 7 and Hosea and several places actually, in fact, that it indicates Jeremiah that some of our rulers and even the president probably will be killed, maybe vice president. It doesn't, doesn't use those offices, but our king or our leaders, uh, it indicates, will be killed. I don't think that was referring to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, those are end-time prophecies right here at the end that those particular scriptures are speaking of. So uh, that is always a great upset of a nation when you have a leader assassinated. Uh, so like Kennedy, uh, you know, that caused quite a situation. And this will be in times of turmoil. And it won't be just the leader, but it indicates there in Jeremiah that it will, there will be violence with ruler against ruler. So rulers, leaders killing each other, and I'm sure the populace involved as well. I've said these things several times, but they're on the docket uh, just ahead of us. So on trumpets, we went through and looked at some very dramatic moments when God used trumpets. He had said that they would be used to call to war, to call to assembly uh, for important times uh, in the life of the Israelites. And we examined a few, uh, like uh, the Jubilee, uh, Joshua and the entering in of the promised land there at Jericho. Uh, also, we ended with Gideon and the incredible thing there that caused that whole Midianite army to stand up and kill each other, and the survivors ran for their lives. Let's pick it up today and look at some more of these things, uh, specifically to do with trumpets and the Feast of Trumpets, since it's so recently behind us, and I didn't cover all I wanted to. Here in Nehemiah, chapter 4, uh, we're in the context of not the temple in this case, which had been built during the days of Ezra just before, 
but Nehemiah was also around, and they were building the wall of Jerusalem. Well, as it turns out, some Ammonites, uh, as stated in chapter 4, and perhaps Moabites with them, and I don't know whether Edomite or not, but some of the tradi- traditional enemies of Israel were there to fight against this building, the wall of Jerusalem, back. So let's pick it up into in verse 16. They'd uh, brought their enemies against them in verse 15. And it came to pass then, from that time forth, that the half of my servants worked in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the habergons, I don't know what that is, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. So they backed them up, and they had guards, because attack was imminent. They were going to go ahead and do what needed to be done in spite of the fact that there would be people very likely to try to come and kill them. We're poised on that today when we have elite, I don't like that word, very wealthy people on earth. They're not elite in any way in character or spirituality. They're elite in financial terms, and in that sense, then, power among men. But they have in mind to kill us. They have in mind, above all, to kill anyone who would worship the God of heaven and Christ his Son. And they are going to come against the work of God when it begins in earnest, just as it was right here. It does say the Assyrian will come after us there in Malachi 4 and 5, and uh, some of the principal men will go out against them and send them packing. He says that the Assyrian will try to smite us and make slaves of us as they did in Egypt, uh, but that they will cuff us about a little bit there in Isaiah, and then it will be a very short time, and they'll go away. Now, I don't know about what some of that's already starting. Uh, they're pushing us around, trying us to get, to get us to be COVID slaves, mask slaves, vaccination slaves, and now they're beginning to remove food uh, faster and faster, and escala- uh, the escalation of inflation is about to get wild. I saw an ad today where uh, Supreme Gasoline in California in some places is up to 8.49 a gallon already. So, uh, what does that do to your morning commute? <laughs> well, it's coming very, very rapidly, and we're already feeling the effects of it. Now, how much God means we will feel the effects of it, I do not know. But I know there are people in the church right now uh, who are apparently dying of or have died of COVID recently, uh, looking at Church of the Great God, for instance, and I, I think I should mention this probably. I went to their website a few days ago, and Evelyn Reidenbaugh has died after a long illness and dementia that accompanied it, and that would have, after being married nearly 70 years, that would have a tremendous effect on John because they were very, very close and 
that has to be devastating to him. And not only um, that, on top of that, he got sick, and we I don't know whether, you know, who knows. There is no flu and there is no cold anymore. It's all flu, COVID, of course. So whether he has the flu or a cold or COVID, I don't know. But he collapsed and uh, was unresponsive. So they took him to uh, a hospital in Myrtle Beach. That's where they had the feast. They've already had it using the Jewish calendar. And then they moved him to a hospital at Pineville, North Carolina, where he still is. And he couldn't even have visitors because of a 21-day COVID restriction. I think that ended yesterday, so family can come now and see him, probably two at a time. Uh, but he was so weak and unable to eat, uh, and he wants to go home, but they say he's so weak there's a extreme danger of falling. So uh, Charles Whitaker, who wrote for the Berean and for the Forerunner, uh, died apparently of covid uh, just a few days ago as well. So it is affecting us to one degree or another. Now, it hasn't hit in the way that I think Psalm 91 is talking about, where a thousand will fall at our left and ten thousand our right hand, but it won't come near us. I don't know exactly what fulfillment that will be, but it will be something that is, when you have ten thousand falling at your right hand, things have gotten pretty bad. Uh, so I don't know what he's talking about there in specific, but uh, we'll know someday, and God will protect his people. But we do have those we could be praying for, uh, even locally here. Uh, Christy's mom, Elaine, went to the hospital yesterday. She's had some difficulties for quite some time, and uh Yesterday, they took her in because her, her kidneys apparently are failing and her liver. And the report I got this morning, I don't want to say too much. I and mean, People sometimes touch you about their health, but uh, they do say that she's going to be put on hospice and uh, she's mostly just going to sleep through the ammonia, I think, and her body is building up because when your liver and your kidneys are not getting poisons out, Ammonia builds up, and that makes you want to sleep. So I don't think she's in much pain. She didn't seem to be yesterday when I saw her. But uh, there is a time to be born, and there is a time to die. And I was reflecting on that a bit this morning. That You know, our lives go by so fast, and we don't have very long on this earth uh, to accomplish something. But the best is yet ahead eternal life in the kingdom of God after this boot camp session down here is what we're looking forward to. So uh, life here on this earth can have its pleasures, can have its joys, it can have its wonderful moments. It can also be full of trials, troubles, tests, and tears. And all of the above go into a human life. So your prayers for her would be empty. Appreciated, I'm sure, as well, as she goes through the end of this life. Now, God could raise her up. She was anointed, and uh, she could live more. That is always possible, but at 82, I think she is, uh, her life 
expectancy is not necessarily a long one. And with the help she's got, God might choose in his will to allow her to die because it's appointed to all of us once to go there. And uh, as, I grow, as I draw nearer that, I think about more than I did when I was 13 by quite a bit. <laughs> uh, life kind of gangs up on you, it seems. But anyway, uh, here they were building the wall and they had enemies. And they were fearful that they would be attacked and killed. So they worked half of them with weapons of war and half of them did the work. Verse 17, they which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens, you, you had hod carriers, people carrying materials back and forth to do the build, some doing the building and some bringing the materials to do it with. And then the one that worked in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. So he was trying to work with one hand and hold a weapon in the other hand. Now that tells me that there was a pretty severe danger of attack. If it wasn't any clear and present danger, you wouldn't work quite that way. You'd set your spear here and work with both hands. But they were afraid of an imminent attack. So there was a great deal of fear here involved just in getting on that wall and working. Their enemies were very active. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. This is Nehemiah speaking. So Nehemiah was standing guard over this. He had a trumpeter right beside him so that if he saw danger immediately coming, he would signal to the trumpeter. <laughs> oh, uh, let everybody know trouble is here. And I said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, made an announcement to everybody. The work is great and large, building a wall that big around the original city was a big work. And we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. So one's working here, one working there, and there's a place in here where it talks about the ones that were working on the west wall and the ones working on the north wall and lines it out as to who was where. So there was space between them. They weren't all together in a war mode, but trying to get a job done with a lot of danger out there. Does that make you think of some of the prophecies here at the end about the clear and present danger God's people will face and that our enemies would actually kill us except that God says, that he'll put a wall of fire around us to protect us from such things. So the dangers that are coming upon us are as great as are greater danger than any that has been faced before. Because it's going to be the whole world under Satan with all the world's rulers against a very, very few people. Verse 20, in what place therefore you hear the sound of the trumpet, 
Resort you there to us, our God shall fight for us. So they had the trumpet there to blast a warning, and when that trumpet would sound, they would all come together. And there they would be prepared not only to defend themselves, but to trust God to fight for them. Now, you can be armed, and they were at times in the Old Testament, and God would tell them to go fight. But there were times when he didn't want them to go fight. And the difference was that even though they may have had their sword, and they may have had all their battlements, and they may have thought they could win, if God wasn't with them, they lost. If God was with them, armed the same way, they won. You know, when the arm was held up, Israel prevailed. Was it Moses? I think it was. They'd drop his arm, then the others would prevail. So God is very, very much involved with his people. That's the point. And I don't think that he's going to have us do much fighting for ourselves. There might be a little bit of some kind involved. I don't know exactly. But he is going to be the one who sends the Assyrian packing. But he's going to send out men against them, which will require a certain amount of courage if only seven or eight men go out against a whole army fully armed. Uh, will require some courage and faith. That's the word. That God will take care of the situation. That's what it took with Gideon and his 300 men. With some faith that God knew what he was doing because I'm sure they felt quite vulnerable. They didn't even have a sword. They had a trumpet and a cup with a light in it. That's all they had. And God. And that's all they needed with God. So here, the trumpet would gather them together and there they would be ready uh, to face whatever foe came against them. So, then they had works. It says, So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. So they worked from can-see to can't-see. They wanted to get this job done. And I think we're going to be under the same kind of pressure in the future when the temple is to be built and Jerusalem is to be built and there is a time limit, 70 weeks there in Daniel. That's all the time that will be from the time the order is given to build it, to have it done, is 70 weeks. And then it will be defiled by the beast and false prophet sacrificing on God's altar. So they will defile it. And God's people in that case are not commanded to stand and fight. They're commanded to run to Zion and get away from it because those people are going to take over for three and a half years. And then they will make war against the two who go out to fight and preach against them. So that's going to be a World War Three. I mean, four. We'll have kind of three before that, but World War Four, I guess, will be between two men and the rest of the world. 
except for those few who are at Zion as the support team. And that one's going to end with the two dead in the streets. So that's, God tells us ahead of time the way this is going to be. But there's going to be an awful lot of work to do, and it will be a time of great danger, and we will be trusting in God in faith to take care of his people while they get done the things that he wants done. It's not very far off either. Let's go from there to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. Here we'll want verse 1. Now he's talking about this same time frame that we are entering right now. And he tells the ministry, Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. So we're not to be mealy-mouthed. We're not to sweep it under the rug. We're not to run from it, but to cry aloud and spare not like a trumpet. A trumpet blast is a very loud and unsettling noise when it is sent as an alarm, as a call to battle. And that is the way that we are supposed to approach things today in letting people know what their sins are. Because it's down to serious business. We don't have time and space much left for repentance. Very little. And we need to be growing and overcoming because the overcomers are the ones who will be in the kingdom. Now, I'm not doing my job if I don't let you know what we need to do. And that is echoed throughout all the prophecies and in the New Testament. We've had people in the past in the church, various places, why do you yell so much? (laughs) Well, isn't that a synonym for cry aloud? Same thing. Like a trumpet. He uses that right here. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation, as a nation that did righteousness. They don't, but as one. They act like it. And forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. So he's talking here about people who are involved with God and yet they're not doing the things they need to be doing. So he says, that's what to yell about. Why did we get blown apart and spewed out of his mouth? There's a lot to talk about in our conduct, in our zeal, in our attitude, in our approach to God and to each other, and how we treat him and how we treat each other, and not much time to get over some of it. Ezekiel 33 echoes this. 
Here we'll begin in verse 3, I think. Here he tells Ezekiel to speak to the people. And he says, when I bring a sword on the land, in verse 2, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman. So he said, there will be a time when I send trouble on the land. God does that because of sin. And that's why he says, cry aloud and spare not and lift up your voice like a trumpet in Isaiah 58. Here he says, you may have, you may have a watchman there. Well, will that do you any good is kind of the question. If when he sees the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever hears the sound of the trumpet and takes not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. Now we can cry aloud, we can spare not, we can tell you what you need to do, then if you don't do it, your blood's on your own head because you knew. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that takes warning shall deliver his soul. So he tells us to lift the voice like a trumpet in Isaiah 58. Here he says the watchman warns the people and he uses the analogy of a trumpet here again. Not that that speaker, Ezekiel, was using a trumpet himself, but his voice was the trumpet to warn the people. But, verse 6, if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the hand of the watchman. So it falls on his head if he doesn't warn. That's why we have to let you know what you need to do to get your relationship with God right. To love him with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to treat them accordingly. And that encompasses the whole law. So I said it in a sentence, but then you have the rest of this to go with it, every word of God, and we do spend a lot of time in Sabbath going through an awful lot of scriptures. That's what needs to be done, because this is the story. It's not man's words, it's this word that has to be gotten out. So it's really God's warning, isn't it? He warned through his servants, the prophets. He warned through the apostles. Uh, he says every verse of scripture is good for uh, inspiration and, and for instruction and in righteousness and so on. So it's his word that has to be proclaimed. And we can't do it in any kind of an insipid manner. It has to be bold. It has to be brave. It has to be truthful. It has to be strong. So that we get the point and realize how much danger is coming. How much danger is coming? 
It's going to get so bad that even the very elect would be deceived if it were possible. The ones most in the know. What is coming is going to be incredibly powerful by the beast and the false prophet. They are going to do signs and wonders in the heavens above and on the earth. And if you are not fully grounded in God's Word, your head could be turned just like that. They won't be keeping the Sabbath or the Feast of Tabernacles. They won't be following the dictates of this book. There's the key. God is going to do great signs and wonders. They are going to do great signs and wonders. Who is following this is the bottom line. This is how you will not be deceived. Because you will remember the scriptures and you'll say, oh, no, can't be. They're not following this on this, 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 and that subject. And therefore, those are lying signs and wonders coming from Satan the devil who is the prince of the power of the air and can make signs and wonders in the air. Now, he's not been doing it to a great degree throughout man's history because God has restrained him. But when God doesn't restrain him or only restrains him to a certain point, what does he do? He sends tornadoes to kill Job's children. He kills all of his flocks and herds. He can be quite destructive with great lying and nasty signs and wonders that come from the devil. And God is going to turn him loose in a way that he's never turned him loose before. Now, in one way, he's already deceived all mankind. Every last one with Adam and Eve. There are only two. So he didn't have a big audience to deceive, but he deceived all of mankind at that time. And here at the end, he says he's going to deceive the whole world. So we better be ready. Some people were probably deceived by the COVID thing. Some people in the church have probably gone out and gotten the vaccination. Not seeing, not comprehending what that was the beginning of. And they've had the kill shot. Be aware. Be awake. Be alert. Watch what's going on. Think of these scriptures and how they will try to control us. I mean, right there it is in Revelation 18. I didn't see it until after the fact. They'll deceive us by pharmacy, by drugs. Clears the bell when you see it in retrospect. I'd read it as sorcery, and I knew the word pharmacia was there. I wrote it in my margin years and years ago that it had to do with the world's medical system. That I knew. 
But when they started deceiving the whole bunch of us with their COVID thing and their vaccination, suddenly it comes clear that this is real and this is specific and it's not the last thing they'll use. There'll be more. So the danger is certainly there and we have to cry out <coughs> and let people know. First Corinthians 14. First Corinthians 14. Now here he's talking about speaking in uh, tongues and so on. But there's some verses in here that will apply to what we're talking about today. Uh, verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with languages, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. He's not talking about Pentecostal gibberish here. He's talking about languages. And somebody could come in here and give the sermon today in Russian or Chinese, and it wouldn't do any of us a whole lot of good. So he says, what good does that do? And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sound. I tried learning a musical instrument back in, I don't know, seventh grade or whatever it was, and I made a lot of indistinct sounds uh, that nobody could follow. They didn't mean anything. They were just noises going up. It's got to say something. If you have music that is composed properly... There's something to follow. There's something to hear. There's something to inspire you. Something to educate you, perhaps. So, you got to have a distinction in the sound. How shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? If there's danger... Enemies are approaching, and somebody plays Mary had a little lamb on the trumpet. Uh, nobody's going to pay a whole lot of attention. That has to be a wartime blast from the trumpet to let people know danger is there. So he said, it can't be an uncertain sound. It's got to have meaning and life and power. So likewise you, except you utter by the language words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken, for you're just talking into the air? This should tell us, without getting onto that subject much, that anything that is done in foreign languages, as they did in Acts 2, had to be understandable to people who spoke those languages. And anybody spoken in church, a bunch of gibberish, uh, in the spirit, as they say, making all kinds of crazy noises, is not speaking in tongues. It's lying gibberish from demons. A counterfeit 
of languages given so the people might hear, understand, and be inspired. We're going to have the gift of languages again here at the end. The witness is to go to the whole world. And the whole world doesn't speak English. So there will have to be the gift of tongues. Go to Moscow, you got to speak Russian. You go to China, you got to speak Chinese. You go to Argentina, you got to speak Spanish. Wherever you go, they have to understand what's being said. There's just words in the air that mean nothing. So, if we cry aloud and spare not, understand why. You know, I don't want your blood or anybody's blood on my head. Whoever I'm commissioned to speak to, I want to do it in such a way that they know, and they know that they know, what they need to know. We can't be mealy-mouthed. Joel 2, we've been there recently, says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. The day of the Lord is near. And he's speaking there of those who are doing the speaking. To blow the trumpet in Zion. The mouth, the mouth trumpet, if you will. And warn the trouble is coming. Let's go to chapter 47 of the Psalms. Psalm 47. <clears throat> oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. I think I quoted the other day, Revelation 5.10, will be kings and rulers on the earth during the millennium. And David is giving a prophecy here. The Psalms are mostly prophecies about how Christ is going to come and subdue the people and have all the nations and put them under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us. We'll inherit the whole universe and the earth. And he's the one that chooses that for us. The excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. So it's going to be spiritual Israel he puts in charge under the Father and the Son. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. So he is going to come, and his shout will be like a trumpet. He's going to announce his arrival with power. He's going to rule the earth. If you're going to rule the earth, you're going to have to do something pretty powerful. Now, we have people today under Satan who plan to rule the earth and have their own millennium under Satan. And they are going to come with power. Mighty signs and wonders and power. Be not deceived. 
Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing you praises with understanding. We know what we're saying. We know what we're singing about. We sing praise to God. He says that only the 144,000 can sing the new song. When Christ returns and takes his bride, they will sing a new song. And only they can understand and sing it. So he says, sing you praises with understanding. What's the new song going to be about? I don't think I ever really thought about that. I just knew it was going to be a new song we're going to sing. Well, it's going to be praises to God. It's going to be praises to our new husband. It's going to be praise to everything godly. I don't know what the words will be. I don't know exactly how it will come out. But that's what this is all about, is holiness to God. And we will suddenly have been brought to the level and in the family of God, and we will be able to sing in a way that no one else can sing. And the people on the earth, at some point, are going to hear that singing. And they won't quite grasp it all, but it's going to be in the context of the Father and the Son and the New Jerusalem coming to rule the world, the bride coming with. And don't you think we'll see the new song of praise to God as His throne comes down to the earth? I suspect so. What else? This is our new song. This is the song we always want to sing. I remember days in the Ambassador Corral. We'd go out to visit a church somewhere, maybe. And once in a while, the director would ask us, what do you wish to sing? Well, we had a repertoire of quite a few different things we could sing, and a lot of them we really liked. But when we had our choice, it was either... The Hallelujah Chorus, or Onward Ye People. That's what we wanted to do. You think this is going to be any different? Even more so. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the heathen. <clears throat> God sits upon the throne of His holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, together, even the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exhausted. Exalted. I said exhausted. Give me a little break today, would you? I notice I've fumbled on four, five, six words already. My throat's dry and my voice is getting a little cranky on me, so... We'll finish this one way or another. But it's exciting. It almost makes me want to cry with joy just to read this and to think about it. Go to Revelation 4. <clears throat> Revelation 4.
He says in verse 21 of the previous chapter, To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Whoever has an ear, listen. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was it were of a trumpet talking with me. So here's a great voice sounding like a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. So John is in a vision, and he's seeing these things in the vision, and there's a voice like a trumpet. must have been very, very loud and compelling. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look at upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. And the twenty-four elders in white raiment, crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightning and thundering and voices, seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, shining like fire. <clears throat> and before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal in the midst of the throne and round about it, four beasts full of eyes round about, and he describes them and goes on. Verse 9, they give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever. And it says that they said, you are worthy, O eternal, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. Now you read that, it makes me think of Romans 1, where he says, We understand God by looking at the things he has made. And this echoes that. All the things he's created were for his pleasure. That includes us. I quoted the other day that it will be his good pleasure to give us his kingdom. So God takes joy and pleasure and happiness in changing us into immortal, eternal beings. Now this was announced to John like a trumpet. Here's something special. Here's something dramatic. I'm about to present to you a vision of the kingdom of God and the throne of God and everything that is around it. And a trumpet was used. Anytime there's anything dramatic in the Bible, any dramatic happening, it seems like a trumpet accompanies it in some form or fashion. Uh, Psalm 18. Psalm 18. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverance, my God, my buckler and strength, in whom I will trust, and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. 
That's in one of our hymns we sing. The Lord is my rock. I will call upon the Eternal who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. This is prophecy again. We'll be saved from our enemies by calling out on God, like we saw in Nehemiah 4, like we saw in Micah 4 and 5 and other places. The sorrows of death compassed me and the floods of ungodly men that made me afraid. David, warrior that he was, had been made afraid. You don't think David, I mean Gideon, was not afraid and those 300 men? Out of 32,022 admitted, I'm afraid, and left. Courage is not lack of fear. Courage is the overcoming of fear. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Eternal and cried to my God. He heard me, my voice, out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was angry. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth, devoured Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew, and he flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark clouds and thick clouds of the skies. And it goes on and on to describe what he's going to do and how he's going to be. It says in verse 27, you will save the afflicted people, but will bring down high looks. Last verse of Haggai 2, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will take care of my people who build my temple and who build my city and who look out and cry out to me. Will we be scared? Yeah, we'll be scared. But we'll have to overcome fear with faith and courage in God. There's going to be some trumpet blasts. I preface that, but let's go to Revelation 8 now. Preface that with that psalm. When he opened the seventh seal, this is prophecy just ahead of us, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. This is a very, very dramatic moment when all the things that the angels have heard about and understood, when all the things we've read about in the Bible and understood are about to actually take place. <clears throat> it is going to be such a dramatic, a fearful, a powerful, an earth-transcending moment that there will be no songs in heaven. There will be no hallelujahs from the 24 elders or the beasts. It will be perfectly quiet. 
we use the term the calm before the storm. There will be calm in heaven. Everything. You can hear a pin drop. And I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given, guess what? Seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and has given him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. God is about to unleash hell on earth. There's silence, and then an angel is given incense, and the prayers of the saints are heard. And God will take care of them through these trumpets plagues. Then they prepared to sound, verse 6. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. You talk about forest fires? These trumpets are pretty powerful. The second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed, sunk, right then and there. There are people right now who are comparing this verse to the La Palma a volcano on the Canary Islands, which is spewing and spitting lava and ash right now as we sit here. And there's a huge landslide that started there a long time ago that the scientists are afraid is going to slide off into the ocean and cause a tsunami to come across the Atlantic and wipe out the entire eastern seaboard and wash clear over Florida. That's what they're fearing. Will it happen? I don't know. But it's the same kind of drama we're reading about here. Whether that is a specific thing that will happen or other things, we shall see. I don't think this trumpet has sounded yet. So I don't think that that probably is referring to that. But it's the kind of thing that this is talking about, if it were to happen. The third angel sounded, third trumpet blows, there fell a great star from heaven, meteorite, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters, and it's called wormwood. The third part of the waters became wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. God is unleashing some terrible things here with these trumpet blasts. The fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. 
this sound like the day of the Lord that's described in Joel and other places? And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpets which are yet to sound. Three woes. The fifth angel blew the trumpet, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke demons, I imagine, upon the earth. And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth or any green thing uh, in any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. You already have the seal of God in your forehead. I don't see it as I look at you. But it's the Holy Spirit in your brain that seals you to God. Don't let that seal be broken. Because if you don't have it, these demons and this locusts and scorpions are going to be turned loose upon everybody who does not have the seal of God. Now he says in the book of Ezekiel, that during this time we would live with scorpions and briars. So he's likening people that we're living with today as scorpions and briars among us. And then he equates these, calls them locusts and so on, but probably demons in the same way. It was given them that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he strikes a man. You ever been whapped by a scorpion? It'll get your attention. Men will seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and it will flee from them. We can't even die to get away from this. The shapes of the locusts were like horses prepared to battle, and crowns like gold. Their faces were as the faces of men. They had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots, many horses running to battle. Tails like scorpions, stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. When I was in the... Uh, letter opening department at college, sometimes we'd get these great big drawings people would make, rolled up in scrolls and sent in, and you'd open that thing, and they will, they tried to replicate these things we're talking about here. And some of it was pretty dramatic, some of it pretty bizarre, and it was their rendition of what this is saying. And they did that with several different things, but it was it would it was quite shocking to open those things and see what people had tried to put on paper 
to describe what they were reading. And that's the first woe. Well, let's see, verse 11, I think, kind of tells you. They had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is the Hebrew tongue Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue his name is Apollyon, or Satan the devil. That's the first woe. It's past. There's two more to come. We have a seventh trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And they were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. This is some more of Satan's demons which were bound which are loosed to kill a third of mankind. One out of three. Is that what the handlers of Joe Biden and the handlers of the other rulers of the nations are working out? They worship Lucifer, Satan, the elites of this age, of this world. And they are instructing the leaders of the nations of this world to destroy 90% of the population. And they are working on that. Through the COVID vaccine, through removing food and starving people, this is their goal and their purpose. It makes me wonder. Are some of these things already starting to be in process? They intend to kill 90% in various ways. And here we have God giving Satan the authority with his demons to kill a third of people on the earth in the second woe. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000, or that would translate to 200 million powerful beings with the kind of power that we just read about. And I saw the horses in the vision, and they had breastplates and so on, and fire and smoke and brimstone. And by these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, the smoke, and brimstone which came out of their mouths. Their powers in their mouth and their tails. Now is this modern warfare with airplanes that shoot bombs and bullets out of both ends? I don't know. It may be that Satan uses some of the things that he has inspired men to build to kill men with. But Satan and his demons would be behind it. And if John were seeing in vision helicopters and airplanes, bombers and fighters and laser guns and all the kinds of things that men are developing. It would look like scorpions, fire coming out of their tails. So it may be that God will use some of those things, including men under Satan's guidance, to do all this. I think that's highly possible. I think we have to be very careful 
because the beast and the false prophet has already said we're going to do great lying signs and wonders through Satan and his demons. And if he works through men to do those things, the beast and the false prophet, could he also use men to fly bombers and fighters and so on? Well, yes. So we need to be alert as we see COVID coming, as we see empty shelves in stores coming, and these things all get worse and worse, we need to be aware of where all this is coming from because some of it could be some of this in the way it comes upon us. You think if a U.N. truck comes to your house and says, we're going to vaccinate you and take your guns, and they have all kinds of armaments and they have guns mounted on top and in front of their vehicle, that it's not going to look what to you at that moment kind of what this looks like to John, it just might. You're looking down the barrel of several guns at once. The rest of the men that were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils. They're going to be worshiping Satan. And idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, their sorceries, their fornication, or their thefts. All the breaking of all of God's laws, they will still be doing. Now there's some trumpet work right there. I'm running out of time again. Let's go on to Revelation. Uh... Well, I've just mentioned in passing Isaiah 27, 13. He uses a trumpet to gather his saints. He's going to gather his saints pretty soon to here. And then he's going to gather them to the first resurrection later. So there'll be trumpets involved. Let's go to chapter 10, though. I saw another mighty angel come from heaven. And he's spectacular as well without reading it all. And he, he have seven thunders that utter their voices. Verse 7, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he began to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God should be finished as he has declared to his servants the prophets. We've had nothing but death and destruction with the first six. And here then will come the first resurrection because that's when the mystery of God is solved. It's when we understand what this has all been about. We can read about eternal life. We can read about being glorified in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two at the last trump. <coughs> this is the last trump, the seventh one. That's when the mystery of God is revealed when men rise up from graves and from standing on the earth and meet Christ in the air and turned into resplendent beings that shine like stars. The trumpet announces that. 
chapter 11, verse 15. It says, The second woe is past, and behold, in verse 14, the third woe comes quickly. So, the second woe, the first woe was the sixth trump. Second woe is the seventh trump. Or no, the third woe would be. Again, what did it say back there? This was the first woe, it says, and there's two more to come. It doesn't really matter. I'm running out of time here to go to it. But the point is, when that seventh trump sounds, it's going to be a very, very powerful thing. And then the third woe comes upon men as a result of that. So it's the fifth, sixth, and seventh. So as the bride goes to the Father's throne to be married on the sea of glass and to sing the new song to God the Father, the third woe, which is the second part of the seventh trump, will be turned loose on men. And then you read about the seven last plagues because the seventh trump will be comprised of seven plagues that come upon the earth as a result. And when that is all said and done, Daniel 9 seems to, Daniel, what is it, somewhere, Daniel 9, somewhere, seems to indicate there will be only 100 million left out of over 8 billion that now inhabit the earth. And he uses trumpets to bring all this in. Let's close this now in Psalm. See why the Feast of Trumpets is so exciting? Because it pictures the seventh trump, the last trump, the trump when the mystery of God is revealed, when we finally understand what it's like to be a spirit being, because we can't grasp it today. But when you're changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, ah, now I understand. Now I know what this was all about. I get it now. Psalm 98. O sing unto the eternal a new song. This is it. This is the prophecy. This is what we're supposed to do then. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm has gotten him the victory. You think this is talking about the end and Christ being victorious over all the nations of the earth or not? This is an end time prophecy, this song. The Lord has made known his salvation. It isn't known today. We just read how the mystery of God will be finished, and we'll know. He will have made known His salvation. It's only been talked about until today and tomorrow and until the seventh trump sounds. His righteousness He has openly showed in the sight of the heathen. This is the book of Revelation written in Psalm 98. He has remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. 
He will circle the earth, and every eye shall see him. Make a joyful noise to the eternal, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Well, if that's the instruction the whole world should follow, isn't that probably pretty much what the new song's going to be all about? Sing to the eternal with harp, with the harp and the voice of a psalm, with trumpets and sounds of cornet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord the King. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Have you ever sat on a seashore when there was a pounding storm coming in and the crashing of the waves? Not a gentle surf. It's violent. And the world and they that dwell therein let the floods clap their hands and let the hills be joyful together. The whole earth will sing at the seventh trump. Before the eternal, for he comes to judge the earth, with righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. Blow the trumpet. See the mystery of God revealed in your body and in your mind as you become God. That's what the Feast of Trumpets is all about.